9 is the reason why we're in Matthew 9. So Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then Matthew 9 verses 35 and 36. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When I was a kid, as many kids do, uh, I would go through spurts where I would watch the same show, the same movie, Uh, The same song, the same video, over and over and over again. And one of those movies that I went through that season with uh, was Winnie the Pooh, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, But my favorite part of the entire thing wasn't Winnie the Pooh. I liked Pooh and his love for honey, but he wasn't my favorite character. My favorite character easily was Tigger because Tigger was so much fun. I loved watching him bouncing around the screen higher and higher, too high up into the tree to where he couldn't get down and had to stay up there until he was able to climb back down the words on the page. But do you know the most wonderful thing about Tiggers? And Tiggers are wonderful things. Their tops are made out of rubber. Their bottoms are made out of springs. They're bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, pouncy, fun, 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 fun. But the most wonderful thing about Tiggers is that Tigger is the only one. He's wonderful. That's what makes him Tigger. He's the only Tigger. Today we're looking at that title, the name, Wonderful Counselor. And hopefully you'll be able to see from our text not only that Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor, but part of why he is the Wonderful Counselor, what makes him a Wonderful Counselor. And we're really focused primarily on the the wonderful part of this. Because a counselor, that's not hard to be. To give counsel is just to, uh, to give some kind of knowledge or wisdom, to pass that along to someone else. It's not only to, to know how things should work and operate, but to give that wisdom to someone else. But we don't focus on the counselor aspect so much because anyone can do that, right? Everyone's a counselor. Anyone can be a counselor. My daughter, who is allergic to eggs, sometimes counsels me to give her food with eggs in it because it's what's on my plate. She sees it. She thinks it looks good. She begs. She cries. She pleads. She wants me to give her that food. She is counseling me to give her that which is going to send her to the hospital. That's counsel. That's counsel. But it's not wonderful counsel. I had a friend in Kansas City before we moved here about a year ago uh, who was counseling me every day that he saw me to invest in cryptocurrency. He said every time he saw me, it's a can't miss. Find as many different ones as you can and put as much money as you can in every single one of them. It's a great investment. It's only going to go up. It's a made-up money. How can it not go up? That was counsel. It was not wonderful counsel. Luckily, I didn't listen to him, just so you guys know. But it wasn't wonderful counsel. Hopefully today, though, you'll be able to see three ways that we know Jesus is the wonderful counselor from this text in Matthew 9. We know he's the wonderful counselor, first of all, because his counsel is wonderfully for everyone. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus came to the world. He showed up. 
The verse in Isaiah, which begins this series, has that same fact and idea. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This whole Christmas series, we will celebrate the God who is the Son being born in the flesh. We call it Advent. That comes from the Latin word, which means coming or arrival. He came. Or from this verse, he went. He has come to us, to the world. And when he came, he came to us specifically, to his people, to everyone. Though in the flesh he was spatially located during his time on earth, he didn't just come to that one place and in that one time. Though he remained God who is spirit and has no body and doesn't take up space, he took a physical body to himself. Though he remained God who dwells in eternity and isn't bound by time because he created time, he, while he was incarnate, took a temporal body to himself. And I think we have to remember that specifically in this season because of what it shows us about the incarnation. It shows us both the links to which he went to come to us and also the extent to which his advent reaches. Such was his love for you that the infinite God took on finite form. Such was his love for you that the eternal God in the flesh experienced seconds, days, nights, seasons, years. And if his incarnation crossed all those boundaries to come to those people in that time, it would be foolish for us to think that he only came to those people in that time. The distance from an Israeli Jew in the first century to a white American in the 21st is way smaller than the distance from God to man. Even smaller is the distance from you to your neighbor, from you to the non-white people around you, from an American to an Iranian. When we understand his coming correctly, we can't help but see that his coming is for everyone, the entire world, the entire human race, for all time to which he came. He showed us this in his ministry, even in this verse. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. He didn't come and stay in one place. He didn't come, go up on a mountain, sit there and wait for people to come to him. He wasn't content to let them come to him. He went to them. And he went everywhere he could in that area, all the cities and villages. He went and told it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. The message he came in the flesh to bring, the work he came in the flesh to accomplish, his counsel, that which he is giving his people, is wonderfully for everyone. But his counsel is also wonderfully for good. That's the second way we know he is the wonderful counselor. Because his counsel is wonderfully for good. The counsel, the teaching that he came to bring is good news. Again, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He was proclaiming the gospel, literally the good news, as he went everywhere that he went. Just like the angel who came to announce his birth, he brings good news, glad tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person that when someone tells me they have news, my first thought is, "Uh uh-oh. No one just walks up and says, hey, I have news, and they mean to tell you something good. If they did, first of all, they would say good news. If they didn't do that, they would just walk up and say what it is. They would say, hey, I bought you a present. Not, hey, I have some news. Oh, well, I bought you a present. That's the news that I have. They just give it to you. When someone has good news, typically they just tell you what the news is. 
It was like when you were dating and the other person said, we need to talk. Well, that's not good. No one ever needs to talk when things are good. No one ever says that they have news when it's good. Because if it's so good, they just tell you what it is. If they have to warn you that the news is coming, then you need to brace yourself for wherever that's about to be. But the message of Jesus, the counsel he has so wonderfully come to bring, it's not just news. It's good news. Well, that's a horse of a different color. Can you imagine if he had gone throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the bad news of the kingdom? Those guys who do that, they don't get holidays. We don't have a whole season celebrating a guy who went from town to town proclaiming the bad news of the kingdom of God. They don't get called the wonderful counselor. But he is called the wonderful counselor most clearly and immediately because the counsel he gives is good. It's wonderful. It's wonderfully good. When he teaches, he teaches with authority, not as one of the scribes. And that's good. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that's good because we are poor in spirit. When he says it's better to tear out your eye or cut off your hand than to sin, that's good because it's better to enter heaven and receive your new body than to enter hell with both eyes and hands. When he says to come to him all who are weary and need rest, that's good because we are weary and need rest. When he says he is the way, the truth, and the life, no man may come to the Father except through him, that's good because apart from him, we had no way to come to the Father. We didn't know how to get there. But now we know that he is the way. When he says we have to be born again, that's good because he's the one who gives life. He's the one who remakes us, who makes us to be born again. I don't have to figure out how to do that because I didn't have to figure out how to be born the first time either. When he says to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that's good because it's a good kingdom. It's a good nation that he's calling us to. We know that because this gospel, this good news, is the gospel of the kingdom. It's not some other generically good news. It's good news within the content and context of his kingdom. Verse 35, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's the content. His counsel is good. His teachings are good. Absolutely Even people who don't particularly like or follow Jesus will usually concede that. They'll say, well, he was a good teacher. But his content, his teachings, weren't just a book of wise sayings and proverbs that we hear and sound good to us. What he was proclaiming was a kingdom. And the defining trait of a kingdom is that it has a king. The good news he came to preach was good news. It was good teaching. But what makes it so good is the one to whom it's pointing. He didn't come merely to say good things to us. No, he came to point us to himself, to set up his kingdom and usher in his kingdom through his work. Because Jesus, the one who is the wonderful counselor, is king. And in its original context, that's really the point of that verse in Isaiah 9, around which this whole series that we'll be preaching the next three weeks is based around. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What this was was an announcement of the birth of the new king, the one who was to come, the new seed of power who would uphold the government of his people. 
And I think that it's important for us to remember that because I think that's why Wonderful Counselor is first in this list. Before we knew anything else about this anointed king to come, about this Messiah, what God wanted his people to know is that we need not fear the rule of this king because this king is a wonderful counselor. He rules in wisdom over his people. Not only does he have counsel, but it is wonderful counsel when you hear it. But he is also the king. He rules. He has a people. He is the one in charge. And what he says goes. This isn't a democracy in which everyone gets a voice and we can get rid of the guy in charge when we want someone else. No, it's a kingdom. And he's the king. So we, as his subjects, are meant to reflect his rule and reign. To reflect his commands and character. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10 say this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, we are a people for his own possession. We now live our lives to declare the excellencies of our king. And we do this as a response, an overflow of our lives because of the mercy that we've received from him. Because we are citizens of this new nation, we make up this new people. Because we're his people, his subjects, with him as our king. So his counsel is wonderfully good because it declares his wonderfully good kingdom with Jesus as the wonderfully good king and we, his wonderfully good people, because of his wonderfully good mercy. He is the wonderful counsel. That's a good result for us, isn't it? He could have just came and proclaimed his good news about his kingdom. But we have also received good results from him out of his goodness, which we can see in this text also. Still in verse 35, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. His counsel, his teaching, that is good in and of itself. That would be true even without any kind of results accompanying that goodness. But we know it's so good. We know it's so wonderful because we're able to experience it as if it is so. We experience it as if it's wonderful. We get the results of it. He doesn't just come and teach. He comes and does. His counsel is put into action in his life. And we are the the beneficiaries of his goodness. Along with this idea of being the wonderful counselor is closely tied. The idea of being the wonderful teacher. The wonderful doctor. So to prove this is who he is. When he traveled throughout the cities and villages. He not only proclaimed his kingdom. But he healed their diseases. And all their afflictions. He began to usher in his kingdom and its effects as he told them of its coming. We know his counsel is so wonderfully good because it's good news of a good kingdom which gives us good results. But we can also know that he is the wonderful counselor because his counsel is wonderfully loving. That's the final way we know he's the wonderful counselor in this text. Because his counsel is so wonderfully loving. His love is dripping off the page in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He loves, and because he loves, he sees, he notices, he cares. Whereas someone else might not pay attention, 
where someone else might deal in generalities, abstractions. He sees the crowd and individually knows and loves the people within it. He doesn't just see a mass of humanity. He sees people that he knows and loves. In the 2001 uh, classic movie, The Princess Diaries, Mia Thermopolis has gone from invisible loser to glamorous princess. And along the way, she has had to learn to love and appreciate the people who loved her all along. And at the end of the movie, when everything's coming to its close, when she finally falls for the guy who was right in front of her the whole time, he asks her, why me? Why are you choosing me? Why now? And she says, because you saw me when I was invisible. To see someone... To take notice, to care, especially when there's no clear reason why you would do so. That's actually the first step in loving them. Jesus loved the crowd and therefore he saw them. Where they may have been invisible to anyone else, he saw them individually. He took notice of them and he had compassion for them. Because he loved, he saw, but because he loved, he also acted. Still, verse 36 When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What a comfort it is to know that our God acts on behalf of his people. You see, there's a common idea that God, or more likely for people who think this way, the universe is just some impersonal force. Everything was created or made and then it has been allowed to kind of run its course from there. Like a clockmaker who makes the gears, sets it in motion, and then removes his hands from the machinery, never to touch it again. There may have been some design in the beginning, some grand plan at first, or maybe even just a scientist's curiosity. Let's put all this stuff together and see what happens. But there's no longer any interference in creation by an outside force, which would leave us alone to do as we want to, to do as we will. But we don't believe that. We have a comfort within this text. We have a comfort that the wonderful counselor has come. So we know how wrong that idea actually is. God loved. God saw. So then God acted. When Christ sees that we are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he responds. He does something. As much as I love the holidays, as much as I enjoy this time of year, and I do, we put up our Christmas decorations on November 1st every year. So we get an extra month. Of Christmas time, packed into the calendar. We start watching the movies, we start making the, the hot chocolate. Our house looks as wintry as we can afford to make it look. I love this time of year. But I recognize that for some people, there's a deep sadness, maybe even a depression as Christmas approaches. For some of you, this is the first year without the loved one that you lost a husband, a mother. And now, while everyone else is so focused on the family that they get to see, you can't help but remember the family that you don't get to see anymore. Maybe for you, money is tight. You don't know if you're going to be able to give the gifts you'd like to give, much less the Lexus in the driveway on Christmas morning with a big bow on top, just like what the commercials have. So now, while everyone else is looking forward to that day, for you, it's just another reminder of what you don't have what you aren't able to do, what you aren't able to give. Maybe you feel harassed and helpless, like a sheep who is without a shepherd. And if that's you, know that God loves you. So he sees you. 
And when he sees you harassed and helpless, he doesn't leave you that way. He acts. Because he loved them, when Jesus saw them, he was moved by them. He acted out of love for them by having compassion on them. This isn't the only time this happened either. It's a similar instance to what we see in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. From that point forward in the story of Exodus, everything changes. God begins to intervene on behalf of his people. He sends them Moses. He sends the plagues against Egypt. He rescues them out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea to let them go. He gives them his law. Everything changes because God saw and God knew. And then God acted. In his love for the Israelites, God saw them and their affliction and therefore decided to act. The next passage in Exodus, the very next thing you read is the burning bush where God calls Moses into his service to deliver his people out of Egypt. Because God is a God who loves, he also acts on behalf of those he loves. And really, the incarnation, Jesus coming into the world as a man, that is God's action for his people. When he saw us harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he didn't leave us that way. He sent Jesus as his son into the world to do what he did for us, his people. He looked down at the world that he loved, the people he created. And when he did, he saw that we were harassed and helpless. He saw that we were floundering without hope. Ephesians 2.12 puts our situation like this. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Well, that's pretty bleak, isn't it? No hope and without God. But when God saw our situation, how bleak it actually was, he acted, he moved, he intervened. He saw that we were in sin and error, pining for something better, So he appeared, and in his appearing, the soul has now felt its worth. He saw that we were surrounded by the clouds of sin and sadness, so he has burst forth in glorious light, driving the dark of doubt away. He saw the death in which we dwelt, so Christ has been born to save. He saw that we were languishing in the long night of our own despair, so he sent forth radiant beams of beauty from his holy face, and with it the dawn of redeeming grace. He saw that we needed him, and so the Father sent forth his word, which is now in the flesh appearing. In his great love for us, God acted. And so Jesus came as the wonderful counselor who is wonderfully loving. And because he loves us so much, he leads us so well. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he met our need. He now is our shepherd. While he could have loved us and saved us and then released us back on our own, to our own devices, back into the wild to wander off once again into the error of our ways, as sheep so often do, he wasn't content to do that. He stays with us. He leads us as our shepherd. 
He rules as our king, yes, but he also loves and cares as our shepherd would. And he's not only a shepherd, but he's the good shepherd. John 10 verse 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this truth becomes even more profound when we view it in light of Christmas. That the life he is laying down was the life that he took to himself for us. He wasn't just a man who was born one day and then decided to lay down that life that he received for his people. He decided to take that life to himself so that he might lay it down. He was already acting in love as the good shepherd by being born, but so much more so by being killed, by laying down his life for the sheep. And that was God's response to seeing the people he loved in need. Jesus. That was how God responded. That was how God intervened. The birth, the life, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. That is what God does when he sees his people who he loves, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's how he acts. Because he is so wonderfully loving. Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger who grew up to be the man on the cross, he is the wonderful counselor. He is wonderfully for everyone. He is wonderfully for good, and he is wonderfully loving. So as we enter into this season of Advent, as we enter the time of Christmas, as more and more of our lives begin to point toward his coming and everything that our culture has added around that, let us receive his counsel as wonderful today. Let us worship him as if he is wonderful every day. Let us receive the wonderful counselor who has been sent to us. For to us, a son has been born, a child has been given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And he is. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the chance to be able to hear your word, to worship you with your people. Thank you for sending your son in the flesh for the incarnation around which we celebrate this entire season. Help for us to not only know intellectually who you are and what you've done, but to to remember it, to feel like it, to know that you are the wonderful counselor who's been sent to us. As everything else happens around this season, as we sing the songs, as we go to the stores, as we wrap the presents, help for us to remember that the point of all this is that we now have a wonderful counselor who has been sent to us, the Son of God, in our place to die and rise again, that we might have the life that you took to yourself through which we celebrate. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.